happens to the church. Yeah, we, it stops growing. I mean, it, there's a warning that we looked at last week uh, in Judges chapter 2. And it's a, it's a scary warning, but it's a good, valid warning of how long it takes for a people to abdicate their love for the Lord and to go their own way. Right? Judges chapter 2 follows right after the book of Joshua. He's fulfilling magnificently and hugely and awesomely as only God would do through Joshua, giving them the promised land. And it's amazing. Walls are falling down. Hailstones are falling from the sky as they tackle and conquer the, the promised land. And I always love this part of Joshua. He made the sun stand still just so they could finish all they needed to do that day. You know, we wonder like, I wish I just had more hours. What's well, happened once? It's happened once. We don't have, okay, it's, uh, you know, he doesn't promise it'll happen again, but you know it happened once. Uh, he did. It's amazing. All that happens. And then Judge chapter two, I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, here's the commitments, right? There. In Judges chapter two, verse 10, it says, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So Joshua's generation and the elders of, with him. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. One generation just took one. All the folks passed away. Somehow, whatever they were doing in their parenting did not stick to where the next generation knew who God was and what he had done, although they had just lived it in miraculous ways. Um, So that's the danger we have if we were to fail to walk forward from those commitments. Um, And then the fourth commitment, I'll answer it, is commitment to others, like to others in the church, which we know from Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25 is to stimulate or stir them up to love and good deeds and encourage each other as we see the day drawing near, the day of Christ's return, but also then outside of us in evangelism to the community around us, right? For small groups, like right now, Sunday, moving forward, this is reach week and small group land, right? Which means, hey, let's think about reaching the community around you, however you were planning to do so. Call the family, invite the friend over, do whatever you're gonna do. This is a reminder of that to reach outside. Well, with that, we're going to go into where we're going today, which is the parent's goal, right? With that review, I want to pause and pray, and then we'll ask the Lord to help us understand his word, apply it to our hearts, and that I would speak, and it's his power that goes and nothing that I'm doing. Uh, So let's do that. Father, we thank you so much for this morning that we can gather together as your people in this place to worship you. And that's what this is. Lord, when we study your word, we see the truth of your word, we feel the application of the truth of your word convicting us, encouraging us, and prompting praise and application to follow after you for your glory, that is worship. And Lord, we thank you for that opportunity that we have to do that today. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten our eyes and understand our hearts according to your word. Lord, that through your Holy Spirit working in us, that we would understand the truth of your word and apply it. Lord, I pray that you would humble us before you as the design of your family is laid bare from your word as we go through this and encourage us at the same time that you have instructed us and we're not left alone as we tackle things that are hard like parenting and um, and, and children that may may not obey every day and they don't. But Lord, your word is with us, your Holy Spirit's with us and we're not left alone. We thank you for that too. We pray that you'd help us to understand this morning your glory. Pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's where we're going. Is chapter two today is all about the parent's goal in parenting. It's all about that. It's like, all right, so the last time is the commitments of a parent. The commitments of the parent was to the Lord first, to our spouses next, to our families in that order, and then out to others, others in the church and others. So you always know with those commitments is that we start with our commitments to the Lord and then it flows down. If anything's ever falling apart in our families and in designs of our, of, of our marriages and our kids, like, hey, just work back up that ladder and make sure they're all there. And that's where we can reorient and reset. And in God's grace and kindness and mercy, he allows us to do that. Um, so that's, that's what that is for. I love that ladder. But today is all about the parent's goal. He's provided a primary goal. And if I were to test you, on the lesson, the main lesson from worship hour, that primary goal is known. What is the primary goal of believers, of all of creation, actually? To glorify God. Yeah, you did it. See, look, it's on the slide. You, to glorify God. That is exactly right. That is our primary purpose. And I could, we could stop right there 
And if we were just to remember and focus and meditate and dwell on that truth through all of the rest of our lives with parenting and grandparenting and auntie and effuing and uncling and all the weird verbs that aren't words, but us interacting with kids, if we were to just do that and glorify God, it would be wonderful. But he's not left us just with that command to glorify him. He's given us instruction to do so. So the primary purpose for all believers is to glorify God. But in the first Corinthians 10 31 says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do all to the glory of God, everything goes that way. He's also given us this resources for godly parenting. In your books, you have this, this quote, which says everything Christian parents need to know to raise their children in a godly manner is found in the Bible. It doesn't mean that there's not helpful other books out there. Don't hear me wrong, right? It doesn't mean that there's not, hey, like we, we give out a baby dedication trips book on shepherding a child's heart because it is an excellent resource on helping us think that it's about the heart of our child that we're going to, to work with, not just the exterior and going to the heart level and seeing. We, I'm not saying there are not other books, but he's given us everything we need in his word to handle everything in life and godliness. So the first resource he's given us is his holy word. Second Peter chapter one, two to four is that verse that says he's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And he did it through his glory, through his excellence, so that we could know that with his authority, this is how we do it. The rest of the world, parents always, okay, I won't put it on you. My parents always offer advice. It may not be according to God's word. It may be according to God's word, but how do I, like my parents, you know, I want to honor my mother and father. I want that. My grandparents may offer advice. Okay, that's great. Someone might hand me a book. That's great. God's word has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. A couple of scriptures that if you wanted to dwell on, Psalm 19, 7 to 9 talks about the word of God. He describes it, right? It's perfect. It restores the soul. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, enduring forever. It makes wise the simple. It's clean. It's right. That's God's word. And it always helps me to, and I want to encourage you through that Psalm 19, 7 to 9, is like, dwell on that. Like, go read that. Carve that out. Paste it on the fridge and your mirror or, or, you know, write in ink on your hand, whatever. But it reminds you, how do we need to think about God's word? And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 gives us the idea that scripture, one, is breathed out by God, authoritative for our lives. And he equips us for every good work. Everything we need to do is there. Everything we need for godly parenting is in his word. But it's, he, I feel like the and more or the Coke Zero commercial and because it's and. Not only he's given us his God's word, but he's given us his Holy Spirit at the same time, right? We have, God's, we have God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, helping us to understand, but not just helping us to understand, to enlighten us, but also empowering us. That is such a breath of fresh air to my heart. For Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's at work in you to have godly parenting in your home? God's at work in you. The Holy Spirit is at work in you, empowering us to do the hard things, to do the things when I feel the temptation to sin and be lazy. God is right there. Galatians chapter five says, the Holy Spirit's standing in opposition to my flesh. Opposition to my flesh. It's standing there. He's right there. And he's helping me so that I can not do the deeds of the flesh, but do the deeds that please him, the fruits of the Spirit. We have that. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are not, because they are spiritually appraised. We put that there because the reality is if anybody, any, any human were to follow the principles in God's word of how to be a family, understanding like how God has designed it, bless you, then their life would go better because they are wise principles. They are, they're wise principles. You look at the 10 commandments, the five commandments that are all about society, right? Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your mother and father, right? All of those that are there about society, if everybody were to live that way, society would definitely be better. But to be empowered by the Holy Spirit requires repentance of sin, recognizing that God is holy and I am not. And that moment where we realize that and God regenerates in your heart salvation. He gives you by faith alone and Christ alone and Christ's work alone, he gives you salvation. If that's something that you're questioning in your life, talk to me because that is where it all starts. 
is to repent of our sins and to place our faith in God and to be come underneath his leadership as Lord. That's where it all starts. So, when we think about that, we have the Holy Spirit at work, but he's not even left us alone there. He's given our kids godly parents. He's given our kids parents that want to abide by his word. He's given our kids husbands who follow God's design for the family. 1 Timothy 5.8 is talking about if there's ever a family that's not providing for the household, if that's ever happening, that is sin. So he's given godly husbands as providers and he's given godly husbands as leaders of the family. We'll look at 1 Corinthians 11 here in a little bit and we'll actually open our Bibles and go there. But he says, be imitators of me. And he says, there's an order that I've given to humanity. And he says that Christ is the head and that the, head man, the husband is the head of the family. And he's just given us that order. And so the husbands who follow God's design for the family are resources for our kids. And our wives who follow God's design for the family are resources for our kids in parenting and their priority to the home uh, and family. You know, Titus 2 talks about how they raise up their children and love their husbands. Proverbs 31 expands on, verses 12 to 27, is this great list. Chris took us through there a couple weeks ago in a clip. This great list of what a godly woman accomplishes in a given day, which is amazing. And we thank you all, wives, for doing that every day because we husbands often get to leave the house or at least focus differently for a good portion of the day as we work. And uh, I remember Chris's opening to that. You know, if you remember that lesson that he did on Proverbs 31 where the, he comes home and the house is chaos. Like, what happened? Like, I just decided not to do the things I normally do. Like, oh, you know, so thank you. Thank you, ladies and moms, for doing all that you do. So it's, that's an overview of the resources that God has given us for parenting. He's given us his holy word, he's given us his holy spirit, and he's given us godly parents to help in parenting. So the big picture of this is that the observance of all of these principles that we're gonna learn, they produce the most effective results. They do, because they're God's principles. And when they're practiced in a home that follows God's design for the family, they become real. But we can't forget our ultimate ambition is to please the Lord, to glorify the Lord, to live in a way that does that. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, therefore, we also have as our ambition or purpose is another word for that, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And that's a, that's a good call out that we could dwell on. If you're looking for a verse to dwell on, that's a great one. I mean, they're all, the entire, entirety of scripture is great to dwell on. But 2 Corinthians 5.9 is, what's my ambition in life? What's my purpose? When I wake up in the morning, I go, this is what I'm gonna do. You know, when I come to a blank spot in my calendar, I have, I have 15 minutes free, I have 35 minutes free, like, oh, someone canceled on me during the workday, I've got an hour. What am I gonna get to do? What's my purpose? What's my ambition? If I could use my time for anything, what would I do? And that verse should pop back into our heads. I want whatever it is, I want it to bring God glory. I want it to please him. But as we do this, if our goal of parenting is this, to please him in everything that we do and to follow God's design for our family, then really what we're talking about is we are going to be faithful instruments in God's design. That's where we are. We're gonna be a faithful instrument in God's design. We're gonna be that tool that is the most useful, the most applicable, the most helpful in bringing up our kids according to his principles. That's what we are as parents. That's what we are really as any influencer on a kid's life, right? Is we are faithful tools. We are faithful instruments. And to be a faithful instrument or to be, another word for that word instrument is to be a faithful steward is there's two ways this, this week that we're gonna look at that. How do I become a faithful steward or instrument in that? And one of those ways is we're gonna look at God's view of mankind as a whole, which, spoiler alert, our children are part of that. So when we get to this, it's think, think about your kids and their hearts. Think about your grandkids and your nieces and nephews, the kids you work with in Sunday school. We're gonna look at God's view of mankind and we're looking at God's direction for parents. Those are the two principles that we're going to explore this morning. God's view of man and God's view and direction for parents. So let's go into God's view of mankind. God's view of mankind. Uh, to start, man is not inherently good, which is in contrast to how the world thinks. So how does the world describe man's nature? Perfect. Say it again. Good. They're good. And do you, you ever hear this phrase, well, yeah, we're basically good. Is that, that's pretty common. Okay, how else does mankind think about themselves or the world describe our nature? Like we're dominant or evolved. Yeah, yeah, like we're able, like uh, you're in control of your fate. Yeah, it's for you. yeah, and it's for you. Yeah. You know, you think about like, hey, if you think about it, like, you're in control. Okay, 
just think about how ridiculous that is in the, in the reality that God is holy, sovereign, omnipresent, omniscient, right? Omnipotent, like, and he created you, and yet mankind chooses to think that. Um, a couple, uh, they, uh, this material brought up a couple uh, current time uh, psychologists just to really drive this point home of how wrong mankind gets it. Freud says it this way, man's an instinctual animal with two major instincts, love and hate. The psychologist Skinner says, man is born a blank slate. Environment programs this blank slate. So all you have to do is put your kids in the right environment and they're going to flourish. Have you ever put your kids in an environment and just sat back and watched to see if flourishing takes place? At least in my family, that does not take place. Flourishing does not take place. Other things take place, but not flourishing. All right, okay. Uh, Rogers says that man is a flower that will unfold if he has the opportunity to self-actualize. He's motivated because of his inherent goodness. So all you have to do is give them freedom to get in touch with their feelings and become self-actualized and he will blossom. That is the, go read any self-help book about kids, about esteem and all. That's where the whole self-esteem movement comes from is thinking like that. So in contrast to that, which is that natural man's goal is to feel good about himself, right? And if, you'll, and if you feel good about yourself, then you'll do better, right? That's, that's, the, that's what the world says. And it creeps into our heads and our hearts. And you might watch a show and it's in there, you know, and it's just, that's just chipping away, right? You might read a book and okay, it's in there. You might talk to a coworker that they have a really good idea and you're, like, you're listening to them and they're like, oh yeah, that, those thoughts are there. That's how the world thinks. It work in my work as I, I coach and develop leaders at Fidelity Investments. And so they're often like, yeah, positive intent. People are basically good. And like, stop. People are not basically good. They're, I work with financial advisors. They're supposed to be pretty sharp folks. You hope they are. They're helping you manage your money. And so it's like, all right, great. Just go let them do whatever they want then. As adults, college educated, like go. And they're like, no, you can't do that. Well, why not? And we we can undo man is basically good pretty quick if you just ask a couple questions. But that's what the world says. In direct contrast to that, though, God's word says man is not basically good or inherently good. Man is inherently, and the word is evil. Man is inherently evil, defined by rebellious in every single way against God. Clearly, the Bible tells us this. The one that we go to a lot for this is Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. None who understands. No one's righteous. And no one's even seeking for God. That is the human reality. I told you, this is also talking about, usually we can be like, yeah, I get that. Adult humans are like that. Your kids are like this. Right? Our kid, this is every human. Every one of us is like this. And so let's, let's unpack, okay, well, how far does this uh, how far does this go, right? So our sin affects our entire human being and it affects the whole human in a few ways. It affects our will. Right, go to Ephesians chapter two, one to three. Craig said a good word last Sunday. He said, oh, this class is gonna be like Bible drills and it sure is. So get your Bibles handy because we're gonna go there. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verses one to three. This is, this is how sin affects our will. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's humankind apart from Christ. That's humankind uh, the will is impacted. The mind and the understanding are impacted. Stay in Ephesians and go over a couple pages to chapter 4 and look at verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 17 of Ephesians says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Not only is our will impacted, but even our thinking is impacted. You go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to the end, you see the exchange of worshiping God the creator for worshiping the creature, idolatry of self, and like that is futile. It makes no sense if you look at God's word. But that's the impact of sin on the whole human being. It doesn't stop there though. 
the humans infected, uh, impacted by even their affections and their emotions. Go over to, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is that part in 2 Timothy where he's describing in the last days what humanity is going to be like, right? What humanity is going to be like in chapter 3, 2 Timothy verses 3 and 4, he says this. If you actually go back to verse 2, it's the start of that comment. It says, For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Our affections and our emotions are impacted by sin. This is building this dark picture of the, sin, the human nature apart from Christ. And not only do our, emo, our, our emotions, but also our outward speech and behavior. Just uh, if you jump over to uh, James 3, 5 to 9 is the tongue passage. When it ta- you don't have to go to James. Just go to Mark 7. I'll show you that one. But James chapter 3, verses 5 to 9, is talks about the power of the tongue, how it sets on things, or sets forests on fire. You know, it's just, it's deadly. Um, Galatians 5, 19 to 21 is that passage where the, the deeds of the flesh are listed out. And it's not exhaustive, but it seems it's all really terrible. But go to Mark 7. In Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, we see exactly what's happening and where the source of our speech and behavior comes from. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. It reads, For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. All of those sinful impacts happen from within and they find their way out. Renee. Yes, please. Yeah. But just to understand, because sometimes um, the way I understand, for example, in Romans 2, when it said that even the Gentiles Mm -hmm. don't have the law, but they have a conscience, Mm -hmm. and sometimes they do things according to the law because of that conscience. So I I guess we are inherently evil, like we we do evil every day, but because of that conscience Mm -hmm. and that awareness that we have of God, sometimes we do good things. Sure. Like things that, you know, my parents... Or me myself, I don't know fully God, but I, sometimes I think I can be generous, and my parents could be ge- generous. Uh, I even see children that they empathize with other children. They are friendly. They are generous. So that's because of the conscience mm-hmm. that God has put into us. So, so that's, is that the explanation that we see like people doing good things? And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, d- disagree. I, just, I, I think we are inherently evil. With capacity with good? Sure. Yeah, so uh, thank you for your, you're like, you're like uh, a page and a half ahead. You're doing great. 100% right. Uh, but for the recording, you know, Renee's asking about, hey, well, look at Romans chapter 2, verse 14. It's talking about if they don't have the law, if they don't know God's law, how do people still do things that are right? And they're doing that because of their conscience, right? So we're talking about all of this deep, dark, go-to, hey, we're inherently evil is on purpose because we need to understand our nature. And the doctrine we're talking about is total depravity, right? This is the doctrine of total depravity is that every aspect of the human life is totally depraved. It does not mean that all, I told you, you're just like 12 seconds. You're doing great. Uh, You're thinking, I love it, right? Is that, that not every sinner is as sinful as they could be. In John chapter six, we see that one of the acts of the Holy Spirit is to restrain humanity from as evil as they could be. And he's doing that. So the Holy Spirit's doing that. And then God has also given every human, every human, believe or not believe, every human has a conscience. That's part of his grace and mercy to us that he's given us that. And so we're totally depraved. We're not as evil as we could be. But you have to ask your question, like why does then he allow the conscience to be there? And he allows that conscience to be there so that people can ask that question. Because when we look at it, like, all right, we know that it's not external goodness that would ever make you approved in God's eyes. Because there's, there's no amount of generosity, you use generous and kindness and those things. There's no amount of that that we could ever do to make up for a sinful nature. Like we can't save ourselves. We can't do that. 
but he has given us that conscience so that we can know right from wrong. Like we're not empty. We're not void. We aren't blank slates. He's given us our conscience. So you're right to think that. Uh, And we think of total depravity, we think of then this idea of, all right, so it impacts all of us. So the intention of God's word there, like if you go back and read the law, the intention of the law was to show us that there's a standard that's beyond us and that I don't hit that standard, even though I can do some things that are good, but I don't meet the standard of perfection and drive us to Christ. That's the whole point. And for parents, where we're going is this idea that it's not just external behavior that I'm after. I shouldn't stop when I see my kids share their toy and think, we did it. Like, that's good. That's good that your kid shared the toy. That is really excellent. It really is. Or if, you're, if, you know, if uh, your kid's not a believer, but you're doing all of the right things at home, you're setting all the right rules, restrictions, guidelines, and they're following them because they love you and you love them and, and all of that's happening, your home can look like it's in good order. It really can. But it doesn't mean their hearts have seen their sin before God. And so we want to bring home the total depravity doctrine as we start this and remind ourselves that it's not just their outward aspects that I'm after. It's their heart that I'm after. So thank you for mentioning that. And yes, ask questions as we go. Please, thank you, Renee, for doing that. Yeah, Roland. Now, what's, how does it describe our heart? Evil, desperately wicked is the heart of humans, right? So we can praise God knowing that I'm not as wicked as I could be because God's kindness right, as a human. Um, But we can also become face-to-face with the reality that I'm a sinner and my kids are sinners. And so my goal in parenting is to glorify God. And then as I work with them is that they can see that too. They can see their sin. They can see how holy God is. And we can tutor them to Christ is where we want to go. Thank you. Yes. Happening in their hearts. And as an adult, I can understand because I, I'm more aware, I think, of what it goes inside. Right? It doesn't matter. I know it doesn't matter what I externally do at the end, right? Because I can see yeah. the evil that is inside of me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're helping our kids see that. And across the ages of our kids, they're going to be able to see that better when they're older. They're going to see that somewhat when they're younger. But we can still preach Christ to them. We can still show them their heart. And that's the whole point is that we're bringing our kids to see their hearts before the Lord, not just right and wrong. That's good. Show them right and wrong. But the whole point is that they get to be able to see who God is and who they are, and they start to see their heart. So when they don't share, it's like, hey, not just don't share. It's what's going on in your heart. Well, I wanted what I wanted. Why did you want that? Well, because it's mine. Oh, okay. So then why did you turn and hit your brother I have a hitter at home, right? He's three. And, and he does that. He's like, my natural reaction, if I don't like it, is I'm going to go, bah. Okay, you see that? And he's not coordinated yet, which I love. Just imagine every three-year-old in those hearts, if they were human size, like full-size humans, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, but that arm comes out. And you can see it all. But happening, just talking through is like, hey, what's going on? Like, I'm angry. Ah, we're talking about a heart of anger, not just hitting. And just pulling it down to the heart level is what we want to be doing. Um... So it's in that sinful condition that kids enter the world. This was to take it all the way back. We're almost done with the darkness. I, I know it's heavy, but it's important that we see that our kids, just like any human, is totally depraved. There's two Psalms that are in your books, Psalm 58.3 and Psalm 51.5. And they both, penned by David, expressed in Psalm 58, verse 3, it's talking about as soon as someone's in the womb, they're estranged from God. It's talking about you have a sinful nature. There's a distance between you and God, even from the womb, because of humanity. Because of the fall of Adam, we are all sinful, right? And our nature is that. And then Psalm 51.5 talks about this, like, even as I was conceived in my womb, I had a sinful nature. It's not talking about the act of conception that's sinful. It's talking about the sinful nature of a human is what's happening there. Um, So all those things are good. The point of it is there's not an amount of good works, right? There's not an amount of hey, today was a really good day so I can have hope in your eternal salvation. It's not, it, we don't base eternal salvation off of did you have a good day or a bad day. We base eternal salvation off of do you know Christ? Have you seen your sin? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in him for salvation? That's what we base that off of. And so our whole goal is to realize that our kid is wholly fallen, which means as we raise them, our kids are wholly in need of redemption. And that's the message that we always bring them back to. As we give them structure, 
right? So scripture is clear that it's the heart that's the control center of life. If you go to uh, page 107, if you have that book, it's page 107, and there's a really good diagram that helps us think about this. Um, it looks like this. If you've ever seen this, it's in, the, it's in the books. This is for me showing you pictures, and you're like, I can't see that. There's reason number 76 to go buy the book at the bookstore um, so you can see it. But it's talking about in the heart are the wills and the attentions and the affections and the emotions. And we know this as adults. Renee, you said it well. As an adult, I can see that, right? I can see my heart, and I know that the decisions I'm making are based, that they come from within. They come from, that's, that's my heart. That's where I'm going. And our kids are the same way. Every, it's the mission control center of life. That's where all those desires start and they work themselves out. And as godly parents, we have the opportunity to help them see their heart and then focuses them towards Christ, which is the whole point. The whole point. I should say it's this. It's, it's, it's the main mission. The whole point is everything that we do glorifies God. Uh, let's see here. Where are we going? So we've looked at the big overarching idea is that mankind is inherently evil, right? That's God's view of man. We're totally depraved. And so parenting then to our conversation this morning is about not just the external, but it's about taking the, our kids to the internal. That's where we want to be going. That's how we want to be helping them. And so like we've been talking about, it's, we're focused on Christ. We're focused on Christ first for our kids' salvation. We're focused on as God redeems them, Right, which we pray for every day as our God, as God redeems them, also for their sanctification. They need us as godly parents to show them that, to show them their heart, and then to follow suit and to walk. And that is our goal as parents. That's how we can glorify God in everything we do as parenting. And so then we get into the next idea. We have God's view of mankind, but I told you not only is there God's view of mankind, but there's also Okay, directions for us as parents. That's where we're going. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He's very clearly setting us up for where he wants us to go and how he wants us to act. Let me find my place. Um, he splits this idea of directions for parents into two ideas off that verse. One idea is the essence of that verse, or the central thought. And the central thought of Ephesians 6, 4 is this idea of bring them up. As parents, what we're doing is we're bringing our kids up. And he gives us a couple sets of ways. I can execute that in a little bit. But as far as bringing them up, that idea, that verb, that's all one word in the Greek, that verb is an active verb, not a passive one. Right? Sometimes they're passive, which means other things are happening to you. But this is the thing we are doing. We are active in bringing our kids up. This idea of bringing them up is to, is to mature them, is to then care for them, provide them everything they need to grow and flourish. That's our role, right? So if it's not, if it's not passive, it's active, then we have to open our eyes to the reality, though, that someone could choose to be passive in that, and they're bringing them up. So question, what does passive parenting mean? look like okay we're disconnected we're not involved we're giving someone else that put that in a church context let's take it home let's apply it how do we do that as people at church to passively give someone else all of the responsibility of raising our kids Yeah. So we hand them off to school. We hand them off to Sunday school teachers, right? We hand them off to Wednesday night youth. There's a lot of handing off. And I'm not saying handing off is bad. Don't hear that. I am saying when we then go, hey, in my parenting, well, that's what Sunday school is for, to teach them about who God is. That's where we just misstepped. We just became passive when that thought becomes a reality. As opposed to, I am really glad that they're teaching them about who God is on a Sunday morning, and I'm also the rest of the hours in a week teaching them about God. Right? Yeah, Renee. have everything they need, but if 
I ask myself at the end of the day, did I bring them up to the Lord? I have to say most of the days, the answer is, is no, right? They didn't get closer to the Lord that day. They, they, they did well, right? They could have had like a great, happy day and they, you know, they maybe became closer to me. Sure. Maybe I didn't bring them up to the Lord. Hmm. And that's passive. I did a lot of things. But spiritually, maybe it was passive. Thank you for bringing that out, right? There's a lot of structure and things that we do for our kids. Are we also including the spiritual side to show them Christ, to show them their hearts? You know, the way it it could could creep into how you discipline your kid. We're talking about that in just a minute. It's like, okay, if I'm just disciplining for the external behavior, that's somewhat passive because we're not bringing it to the heart level. That's somewhat passive, right? Uh, Parenting that looks passive, often root causes of that is we're not asking God for wisdom on how to do that. Like even our own hearts, remember our commitments, our commitment to the Lord first. If we're submitting to the Lord and his instructions and authority in our life, then we're gonna be asking for wisdom when things are hard. We're going to be submitting ourselves to his leadership, right? We're gonna study his words so we can know him and we're gonna pray a lot because kids are hard, right? I mean, you have a kid that obeys one minute and then the next minute they're staring bold-faced at you saying no. And if they were human size, they would hit you. Right? I mean, like full, they, they, that's just reality with kids. Right? That's their sinful nature right there. Um, and so it can look like that. Passive parenting can also look like we make excuses for our children's sin. Right? What are some of the excuses for, their, for our kids' sin that can creep into our thinking? They don't understand. They don't understand. Okay. Tired. Oh, it's been a long day. Everybody's tired. Yep. Someone else's child Oh, it's the other people's fault. Those other snotty-nosed kids, it's them, it's them. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, I, the, yeah, the environment got after them. Sure, no, if no kids in here were, 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 re, were reacting. Yeah, Emilia was not referring to anybody's kids in this room. Um, yeah, those are, those are all things. So they were, I, you know, they were sick, uh, circumstances, other people. It's just a passing phase. They're gonna grow out of it. Which, you think about that phrase, that doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean they won't grow, they won't understand the structures that we have for them and then behave differently. It doesn't mean that. That's completely logical. If we hold to the structures, they will grow and they will conform to some degree. But again, we're talking about the heart, right? We're talking, we're talking about their, their hearts. And if we look at it and we just passively say, ah, they'll figure it out in a couple of years as they get older, that's being passive, the word bring them up is active, not passive. So how do we become passive in our parenting? Is this idea, we talked about a lot of it, right? Is uh, it could be, well, we're busy. It could be, if you want to call it, it's real. It hurts a little bit. It stings. Even as I say it, I'm lazy today, right? Uh, it could be, you know, Renee, you mentioned, thank, thank you for being vulnerable, right? You mentioned like, hey, I see a good day and people are conforming and I just stop there, because that seems like a good day, right? Okay, that could be a way we're passive in our parenting. Um, there's no way my kid could do that. Like pick your kid up from Sunday school and they say, I, come here. And you're like, oh, I'm the parent, they got the come here, right? And the teacher's telling you that says, hey, um, your kid's been naughty in one, one way or another, right? Like, you're like, and in your head, you're thinking, there's no way it was my kid. They got it mixed up. They're wearing a name tag. No, it wasn't my kid. Right, anyway, so that we, we can become passive and not even believing that our kids are there or we think they're too young to learn or we excuse it. Oh, this is the tough one. You know, when they're, when they're shaking their fist in rage, but they look so cute at the same time, right? And you want to smile because it's ridiculous what they're doing, but it's wrong. We can think they're cute and not address it because that oh, was just too cute. No, it's not too cute. It's sin. So we need, we need to address it. We don't want to be deceived that there's a reason to be passive. We need to be active in bringing them up. None of that means don't do it without love. None of that means that. It just means to be active in our pursuit of doing them. But not only active in bringing them up, uh, we already talked about these things. Oh, an example from David's life. Uh, this is always hits home, right? David is a man after God's own heart. So we praise him a lot and we should because God worked mighty things through him right? Um, but there, if you look at him as a great king, yes. Military commander, yes, right? Musician, yes. Defeater of Goliath, yes, right? Okay, all those things true. If you look at him as a father, it's a different story. If you look at him as a father, it's a different story. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 to 39, that's the story of 
the half-sister Tamar and Amnon. And he loved his sister so much, he wanted to make her his bride, and he, and he didn't do it in a godly way. And so then, not only did it stop there, is his other brother, Absalom, said, That's re- I'm not going to stand for that, and he murders his brother. David doesn't say a peep recorded in Scripture about any of that. That's passive parenting. Uh, 2 Samuel 15 to 19 is when Absalom, that same son, takes over the kingdom from David. And David has to escape and flee Jerusalem. And you see David's heart towards his son Absalom as he's rebelling against the king, rebelling against his father. And David's heart is struggling with calling the moment and saying, no, Absalom's wicked in that. And you, you can go read that and see how, uh, how you know, Absalom dies and David's still mourning for his son. And there's no, he's totally passive towards his son's sin. And then in 1 Kings chapter 1, 5 to 31, David's in his old age, near, near death. Solomon's supposed to be king next. That's known. One of David's other sons, Adonijah, says, no, I'm going to go take the kingdom for myself. And he starts doing everything. It's all in the open. He's not hiding. And, and David says nothing. It takes Nathan the prophet and others to then restore the path that was supposed to be there. That's passive parenting. That's passive parenting in the face of our, ki- our kids' sin. We're supposed to be active in our parenting. So we can just see all these things. You want to know in David's life, where did the wrong going start? What happened? 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 is where David shifts in his pursuit of the Lord and then his shifts to that idolatry of self that Dusty talked about this morning. And that's that verse where it says, it was that time in the spring when the kings were supposed to go out to war and did David go out? He stayed at home, right? And uh, he didn't go out. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't following what he was supposed to be doing and sin crept into his life in a big way with Bathsheba and then further on. So that's where it comes up. But not only bring them up actively, but we also need to bring up our kids continuously. We need to bring up our kids continuously. And when we think about that continuous, this idea of bringing them up that way, we're going to have a focus on dad, a particular focus on dad. So Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, it talks about parents in a plurality, okay? So it's talking about children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Verse two and three is honor your mother and father for this is right so that you might stay long on the earth. Okay, so there's this plurality of the parenting. But then verse four says fathers do not provoke your children to anger. Why does he focus on the dad? There's a couple reasons that we need to as dads to understand that and as wives to encourage the dads and what they're doing because in God's word, dads are directly accountable to God for the structure that we live within. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In your Bibles, we need to read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 1. It says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything. And hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of every woman and God is the head of Christ. The whole point is that God has orchestrated an order here that we're supposed to follow. That's where we're supposed to be going, particularly dads, right? Uh, I think you turn there. I didn't even see it. It's on the slide. Look at that. Okay, but not only that, he's commanded us to do that, particularly dads, is that we can be tempted when we come home that we're tired already. I know that. Dads, husbands, grandparents, I know that, right? So we need a reminder. It can, the reminder can be something on your phone as you drive home. The reminder can be a, a big thing you write up on the doorpost in your house. The reminder can be your wife going, remember, but it's you're entering the mission field and the kindness and love that we need to be complimented by our spouses. Help us because the work is not done when we come home. It's just a different work when we come home, when we enter the household. We're entering the mission field at home. We're going in to actively bring up our kids, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, so bring them up continuously. I'm going to speed up here because I think where we are in time. Um, but you bring up this idea, this continuous, is it's in the present tense, that idea of bring them up, that Greek word. So it's not just active, it's present tense, which means always do it, which means parenting is work. Parenting is something that we strive after. It means parenting is something that's an always that we do, right? If you go to Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4 through 9 and read that, the, the ideas that are there given as we, as we teach our sons diligently, plurality of children, daughters, and sons, diligently, we're supposed to talk of him and teach him, teach about the Lord when we sit in our house, when we walk along the way, when we lie down, when we rise up. 
continuous. We're supposed to bind the truths of God's word on our hands and on the frontals of our foreheads. It's everywhere and it's always. That's this idea of continuously and what we do. It is not a passive neglecting thing. Proverbs chapter 24, if you want to write that down, verses 30 to 34 is the, the, the proof of the sluggard and his field. And where that reacts is it's chaos. And it's a failed field. So it's not passive. And then the last thing I'll bring up on the essence of God's directions is that we are commanded to bring them up. We're commanded. It is a verb, it is present tense, and it's an imperative form. We're commanded to do this. So parenting according to God's design is an optional. It's not a good idea. It's not something you should consider. It's not something that, oh, there's a couple of good books I'll take some wisdom from. We're commanded in Scripture to do it in God's way, actively, continuously, and with authority. There's two ways that God gives us to execute God's directions. We know these because of Ephesians 6, 4. It says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of God's word. The discipline idea, it could be that, right? And we'll get to that. You saw this hand motion in the back, right? It could be that uh, of of correction, okay? You turn to Proverbs. I'm going to have you all pick up Proverbs, Um, right? But the methods of discipline is really this general idea of training. When we think in English, we think of discipline, we immediately think of a slice of it the slice of discipline called correction. But discipline is bigger than that. Discipline is this idea of I'm providing rules, I'm providing guidelines, I'm providing structures, I'm providing how we use time. That is all at a conscience level within parents and families. Again, some kids need more structure, some kids can handle less structure, and over time that changes, right? So it's shifting. But the reality that we need structure in our kids' lives is what's present. We need to discipline them. We need to train them for the life that they're entering into. Proverbs chapter 24 verses 3 to 4 says that by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it's established. By knowledge all of the rooms are filled with all pleasant and present, uh, precious and pleasant riches. So we need to do that. So rules, guidelines, restrictions, rewards, correction, yes, and structure. So right, so as we get into there, um, we think about where where we're going. It means that our kids are going to learn this reality that they need to be in submission to our authority. That's what that means. When we provide all of those things, as we train them, they're learning to be in submission to our authority. And then they're going to then hit this moment when they choose to not be in submission to your authority. It's called rebellion, it's sin. And when they hit that moment, that's the moment that we can come alongside of them and show them their heart in front of a holy God. That's those moments. That's the whole point to providing them discipline so they can be trained for what's coming at them and they can see their heart as they rebel and push against the authority that's in their lives so we can bring them to Christ. Colossians 3.20 says that children, be obedient to your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. We're gonna have a whole chapter in this study about evangelizing our kids through our parenting, but this is the first hint or slice of that. And then where we go on from there is that discipline, yes, is the general heading of training, but I want to have a, uh, in page 13 of your books, there's a big uh, capitalized idea if I wanted to read it. Discipline is not only for the purpose of shaping a child's behavior, it's also the means by which a parent points a child to his need for Christ. When a child fails to live up to the standard which he has taught, that training, it's an opportunity to explain his need for a savior. It takes us straight to those opportunities all day long. Sometimes 26 times, sometimes 260 times, sometimes 2.6 times. Depends on how good the day goes. But it's always, there's an opportunity to do that for our children. So that's discipline and the general heading of trading. But a note on correction, since we all do think about that, and that's a big idea. Um, when it comes to correction, that word is an idea of chastisement for wrongdoing. And teaching the concept, the concept of you, so, you, you sowed, you made decisions, there are consequences for those decisions. In your appendix, there's a really good article on just correction and how to think about when do I go with correction and what type of correction do I go with. There's a really good article back in there. We're going to talk about discipline and correction more in this study than we are going to get to today. But it does include the use of the rod, but it's not limited to it. Um, these slides will be on the app for the lessons, you can go back and get the scripture references. But all of those Proverbs that are listed there, 13, 24, 19, 18, 22, 15, 23, 13 to 14, 29, 15, 29, 17, they all talk about the use of the rod as an element of correction, not the only, but an element of correction. And they teach us this singular principle that using 
the rod as a corrective idea when there's rebellion against the structures that are in place is actually a loving manner that proves you love your kids, right? Uh, Proverbs uh, 13, 24 talks about the way to love your kids. Um, Proverbs 23, 13 to 14 literally says your kid will not die because you used the rod. It literally says it, but we feel that. We feel that if I'm gonna correct my kid, if I'm gonna spank, I'm gonna discipline them physically, we can be tempted to think that, oh man, this, I'm really messing this up here. But go look at all of those Proverbs. Go look at them. You will see a whole picture of this is when it's time to use the rod and corrective discipline, it's actually to show them their sin, that they, they sow at ideas and they're reaping consequences. That's where that's, where that's supposed to go. We're gonna dive deeper into that as we you know. If you have questions about that, when we wrap up, I'm happy to talk more about that. We can look at all those. But those Proverbs are wonderful. They help my heart anytime I feel hesitance there. Um, when we, not only are we talking about discipline and correction, um, the reality is there we have to do this God's way. So remember, just this is to God's glory. We're doing this according to his word. And then when we go to this, we're also um, instructing our kids. We're instructing them. We talked about discipline, creating structures that they live within in our houses, rules and guidelines according to God's word, but also instructing them. So Renee, you mentioned this, is that am, I, am, I, am I bringing them up by instructing them? Am I taking those spiritual moments where I can come alongside of them and teach them who God is? This is that idea of I'm putting God into their minds. That's really what it is. I'm putting God into their minds by what I'm doing. We can do that all day long in every single which way. We can do that through decisions that we make and how we made that decision. We can do that through correction. We can do that through um, the pre-meeting you have before you bring your kids to church and you want to remind them how they're supposed to behave. You know, the pre-meeting before you go into someone's house. You know, I don't, I don't know if you do that. We do pre-meetings. Like we're driving there, like remember. Right? There's putting God into their brains, right? That, that happens, right? So topics that we want to be putting into their brains are who is God and what's his character and what are his deeds? We saw in Judges at the beginning of this that they just forgot. They no longer chose to remember who God was and they fell, right? They walked away, full on idolatry. So we wanna be putting the knowledge of God into their heads and their hearts, who he is, what his character is like. And also we wanna put in his requirement of us into their heads, that's just this training idea. So as we think about our actions at home and the structures and the things that we're doing, how we teach them, how we admonish them, but don't forget how we encourage them, right? Um, how we show affection to them, how we give them advice, how we help them think through a struggle that they've got, right? Uh, this year was the year that my daughter had the first experience of kids aren't nice to me when I went to school. Every kid has that experience, we've all had that experience, and she had to wrestle with that. That's one of those moments that we as parents can come alongside and instruct about, okay, well, who is God in this? What's his character? And who are humans in this? What does he require of us? And what's the reality? You know, that other kids are gonna be mean. Why? Well, sin is out there. You have sin, I have sin, they have, and it's an opportunity to instruct. We have those moments all over the place. We need to take active, continuous, authoritative action to put the knowledge of God into the minds and hearts of our kids. That's what we need to be doing as parents. Um, we talk about putting them into the mind. Uh, there, it's this idea of the balance then uh, between discipline and instruction. The back of your books in an appendix on page 112 in your books has a, uh, a not authoritative, like don't measure the lines of how often I'm disciplined how, versus how often I'm training. It's just... It's this idea of when, it's, when you're younger, you're gonna do a lot more disciplining. Here's the structures, here's the rules, here's the confines, the restrictions, here's the correction. It, there's a lot more of that as where kids are younger. As they get older, the potential shifts that there's a lot more instructing, you know, and it's a ratio, it's a balance. And it's a different thing for every parent, different thing for every household, and sometimes different kid to kid. Because some kids might conform easily. Some kids might rebel a lot. It's just different but it's this balance. It's, the idea is it's both. It's both. It's not one or the other. It's not one or the other. Um, we did the, oh, there's page 112 in the appendix. So uh, let's see. Let me, let me summarize. Thank you for letting me go uh, long. Let's see here. We'll have some time for questions as we go through it. Um, when, we, when we talk about the summary of what we do, remember the parent's goal. And this is, we've talked about a lot, went through a lot of details, showed you a lot of scripture about who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to act as parents that are godly. But remember the goal. 2 Corinthians 5.9 is that everything's pleasing to him. 1 Corinthians 10.31, it's for his glory. 
just like the main service, that message earlier, it's for his, we do everything for God's glory. And if we do that, then we're going to reap the rewards of being faithful stewards of the blessing of children. It doesn't mean your kids will be saved. It doesn't mean they won't. It means we'll be faithfully following and glorifying God in that, which is what he calls us to do. So how do we do that? Review, we actively discipline, we actively train, we actively instruct our kids. We bring them up actively. And then why do we do that? We do this so that our kids can know who God is and can know their hearts before him, know their own heart and see their own sin, and know they stand before a holy God that will judge sin, but also loves them just like a holy God loves and wants them to repent of their sins as they see it and place their faith in his son Christ. That's what he wants. That's his desire, is that they would all come to know him. So um, I wanna wrap up here by, if you have the book, go to the page Pondering the Principles. It's at the end of your chapter. And just this, the, these last few reminders out there are, it's important to dive into those. Some of those things that are on that page, oh, they're, ter- they're terrific. They are just... Uh, let's see here. Things like, uh, in your own words, this is number three, in your own words, what do you think is the proper goal for parents? Like, write it out. Test your, not as a test, like intellectual test, but write it out. Like, where's your heart on that? Um, is your goal biblical? And write those out. Are your priorities there? Write those out. Um, number five is a good one. As a habit, are we wisely shepherding our children or are we roughly driving them? Are we active or are we passive? Are we current or are we incontinuous or are we inconsistent? Um, do we assume the appropriate role of an authority or are we handing that off to others and not seeing it as a command? Just those are great things to ponder as we think about raising our kids and following God's design for the family. Um, so that's, that's lesson two. Right? Remember the active, the continuous, and it's a command and we're operating by God's authority. Uh, we have, I think, uh, I don't even know where we're at. New two services, 11.50. He's done in 10 minutes, right? Do you have any questions you want to talk about on the recording or? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because I think you can give something good to your children and can look like a bride. So how do you avoid that pitfall? Oh, that is, okay. That's a, that is a great question. Um, order of events is the counsel I would give, right? So this is an opportunity. Uh, rewarding is a discipline feature, right? And when they do it right, it's fine to show them that they did it right, right? That they behaved in an appropriate way. That's totally good to do. Um, when we get the order of events the other way around, when the reward is the basis for why you behave, that, that's not what we want to do. What's the basis for why we behave? The basis for our behavior is like, hey, remember, God loves you. God is wise. He's holy. And just explain the character traits of God that apply to that situation. And then we can come into, so what should you do knowing that God wants you to obey? I should obey. Okay. So then walk through it that way. So the, the motivation for obedience is who God is. Um, as opposed to, hey, I'll let you have a cookie if you obey. You know, it's, it's fine to reward them. You know, I, I'm motivated by cookies. Um, it's fine to reward them. But if the reward is the reason they obey, then we've missed it. The opportunity is because of God, because of who God is, is why we obey. And then we move forward. And the reality that, hey, I'm, uh, I meant to mention this earlier, is that when you get into a debate with your kids, this is similar to what you're talking about, and you're arguing back and forth, and you're arguing from your position of I'm right, and they're arguing from the position of I don't care, uh, I want what I want, then we always take it back to God's word. And when you take it back to God's word, it's not a magic bullet. When you take it back to God's word, you're no longer underneath your human authority. You're underneath God's authority as their parent. And you take it back to God's word, and it's his authority that rules. And then all of the, they're, they're, they have no winning argument anymore because they're arguing with the God of the universe at that point. So you can always bring them back to that place. Thank you for your question. Uh, let me pray and we'll be dismissed. I will remind you that uh, they're still worshiping, right? So we don't want to run out there and talk in the hallway in, until about noon. We can hang out here. You can get some coffee and come right back, whatever you need. But we just want to run out there and be our normal selves just yet. But let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we can spend in your word, this time that we can 
dive into what you ask of us as godly parents. Uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, help us to remember that our purpose in life is to give you glory because you are good, because you are holy, because you are a creator and because you love us and you're merciful and you're gracious. And then let us mirror that to you and how we treat each other as our spouses, as we treat each other as families and how we treat the others around us. And as we parent, Lord, help us to remember that you have given us everything we need for parenting. You've given us the discipline structures and you've given us the ability to instruct our kids through your word and help us to be faithful in those. Praise the in Jesus' name. Amen.